We can talk about anything you want As Jake wants his ignorance Boom. Alright, welcome to Jay Fonts' Ignorance. This is episode 38, I believe. I'm once again with Chris Hoover, yet again, for another of our weekly episodes that we record once a month or two. <laughs> right? <laughs> well, we were going pretty good there for a while. Yeah. I thought we were. <laughs> what happened to us, Chris? What happened? I don't know. <laughs> well, I was just walking the dogs down at uh, the park here, and uh, I was going to take them in the river and let them jump in, and suddenly, out of nowhere, these two... Uh, little Chihuahua rat terrier dogs, like oh, two of them, completely off leash, <laughs> storm us like that's a <laughs> like like battle has commenced or something, and I'm like, holy crap, because I don't want you know like Hubie, the my big white hundred pound idiot, to like overreact or something mm-hmm. and like you know mouth him or something, you know, I, I don't think he'd hurt him, but he's because he's never hurt anything except his dinner uh, <laughs> that I know of, but I also don't know what happened to that toad back in the backyard. Anyway, um, so. Yeah, this guy come on, comes wandering over, and he's just used to having his dogs off leash all the time. And it, it worked fine because the big dogs didn't overreact because I've got, you know, our neighbor's 100-pound idiot, too. So I've got 200 pounds of dog facing off against, like, what, 30 pounds of <laughs> chihuahua? Yeah. <laughs> and one of them is, like, kind of friendly, and the other one is, like, hyper-aggressive and, like, jumping all over the place. So one of them's, like, white and brown, and the other one's black, and they're, like, they're all... <laughs> <laughs> the dynamics of the so my, both mine are on leashes and they're 200 pounds pulling me in every direction and the rope gets tangled around everything because anyway uh met the owner and it turns out the owner uh we, we get to talking it turns out he's a, a rapper uh out of minnesota and it does like anti-fascist rap <laughs> songs on Bandcamp. nice so, yeah so i'll link to the a link to his uh, music and he said he'd be on the podcast we, we talked about all kinds of stuff it's like it's amazing who you run into at, at a park in nebraska so um he punched in my number on his phone and he's like oh uss houston where do you you were in the navy or something and i was like oh well no because my grandpa and the you know, people have listened to the podcast know the whole story but I scuba dove on my grandpa's World War II boat that got sunk uh, by the Japanese in Indonesia. And um, he's like, oh, wow, yeah, my uncle uh, and told me the whole story about that. And I don't know how much of that he wants, public or private or whatever. So I'll have to <laughs> – he said he'd be on my podcast. So <laughs> that'd be fun to interview him about all that stuff. So, you know, it's like a small cool. world. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Good times. Yeah. Like a lot of people, it, it, it seems like uh, a lot of people that I talk to in Nebraska live very small kind of local lives. Mm-hmm. And this this guy just, you know, he just got back from, I don't don't know how much I should say, I should let him say it, but, you know, he's been all over the world and he has all these crazy stories of, you know, this horrific stuff. And it's like, holy shit, dude, (laughs) he lived quite a life and he's a young guy. He's like 30 or something. So maybe he'll be on a future episode. I don't know. That'd be cool. (laughs) Yeah. We exchanged phone numbers and stuff. So, um, yeah, just crazy coincidences that happen, you know, Mm -hmm. and he's comparing and contrasting. So he's trying to start a documentary with the, uh, anyway, he he lives, so Justin Wayne is our state senator, and he mm-hmm. also uh, lives in this district. So J- Justin Wayne and some of the, it's, uh, I think it was like $300 million that uh, Justin, or I'm sorry, Senator Wayne uh, secured. I don't, I don't know if you followed all that news. Mm-mm. But anyway, some of the North Omaha development money, you know, he's going to, one of the things he's doing is he's trying to make a documentary about all these, you know, these crazy racial killings and um in the 1912s downtown Omaha and all these stories that haven't been told. And 
he's gone around interviewing the family members of, you know, the great grandchildren of some of these people and the children. And some of them mm-hmm. are, some of them are very open about talking about that. And then other ones are like these, <laughs> I don't know how much I should say, but anyway, there's a vast disparity of the people who are survivors of that, you know, person they're writing the documentary about mm-hmm. They're They're shooting a documentary about apparently. So anyway, he's trying to get that funded. So yeah. Uh, anyway, yeah. I just meet the, <laughs> To, to randomly meet somebody so yeah that's cool yeah crazy yeah there i mean there's a there's a lot of friendly people out here honestly you know like um i don't know how many people have just sat and talked with us while we've been on our walks i don't i don't know where you go but you know we go up the big hill in uh, the haunted park the one that you have to go through the gate um to get to like another park that's like way up the hill that kids play at and stuff like that but anyways we walk that as part of a workout and you know, people stop and will chat with you all the time. I I know uh, what I can't remember if we had Missy yet or not, but we ran into this uh, couple that were walking their dog. Oh, we must have had Missy by this time. Uh, and it was a uh, it was a blue healer and off completely off leash walking on their side and had complete obedience to their owners like my Missy, I think, was freaking out and uh, barking at the dog, and the dog was just like, whatever, I'm yeah. doing what I'm supposed to. <laughs> and uh, I thought, man, maybe someday I can get Missy to be like that. <laughs> yeah. I'm just not that good of a trainer. Yeah. And, so, the, the, yeah, this guy used to live on, in Long Beach, and he, he had a, a dog there who was never unleashed, not once, and would just walk next to him, and then he would stop at the cross locks and wait for lights to change and everything. It was just incredible. Mm-hmm. Like the kind of con- I've never had a dog that well-trained that they would walk like that. Maybe I've had the wrong breed of dogs. Well, I've never really had breeded dogs. I've always had mutts. So. <laughs> <laughs> Some yeah. of my mutts haven't been the smartest dogs ever. Yeah. Well, I, I, and not only that, but I do think that uh... – I, I think that having dogs is a really big time commitment just to actually keep the dog healthy. And it's even more to train a dog to be like that. Like, I don't think that dogs, like that person we saw in the park where their dog was walking next to him. And and maybe this is true for, for the, for the guy that you met today, but they you know, their dogs aren't born be like willing to do that. Most of the time, it's, it's a lot of hard work on their part to get to that point. I think. Yeah. Maybe it's my fault. Maybe it's, <laughs> Every dog's been perfect. Well, I think some are harder than others, which I think would probably fall into the category of Huey. Yeah. He's <laughs> dog on hard mode for sure. But yeah, the, yes. um, uh, um, yeah, his his dogs. Like if you're terrified of all dogs, no matter how small they are, his dogs are a problem because they're they're jumping all over the place and whatever yeah. you know. So they're it's not like they're well behaved dogs. It's just that they don't run off right at the at the park and they don't get run over by passing motorists apparently. So. Yeah. Um, and I think, uh, too, you know, you know how like Alex turns into a dickhead when he sees other dogs. If they're actually smaller dogs, it's almost like he doesn't see them as a threat and he just doesn't care. And I'm really thankful for that because, I mean, a, a big dog like Huey or even Alex could really mess up a chihuahua pretty fast. Yeah. You know, <laughs> and those chihuahuas don't even know any better. And, uh, you, Usually it's just Alex when he sees a dog that's bigger than him. He feels like he needs to rip its throat out. Yeah, Alex is scary at first. Yeah, that's yeah. crazy. <laughs> yeah, he's, yeah. <laughs> I I really wish I could 
And, you know, what's weird is that I feel like I've learned a lot of life lessons from dogs. And one thing that I saw that I need to actually work on training Alex is that you don't want them to prefer other dogs and you don't want them to um, be excited about other dogs and want to be around them. And you don't want them to hate them, right? You just want your dog to be neutral to other dogs, right? right? Like, like they're just another thing out there. Right. And teaching something that something is neutral, I think is a hard aspect. And I, I feel like I'm out of my league sometimes with, with, uh, Alex being reactive like that. And I, I, I think I need to, I need to be a better doggy parent and figure out how I can resolve that. But anyways. <laughs> All right. Well, this, uh, so there's a podcast feed called the daily from the New York times. And this episode is called lessons and gun control from California. And it was posted on June 2nd, 2022. So I'll just read the paragraph here as a proportion of its state population. California has one of the lowest gun rates, lowest rates of gun deaths in the United States, 8.5 per 100,000 people compared to 13.7 nationally. How did the state get that way? So the, the guest, blah, 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 background reading. Californians are about 25% less likely to die in mass shootings compared with the residents of other states, according to the recent study. In a newsletter this week, uh, the Times correspondent Sean Hubler looked into how and why gun laws there work. So, yeah, I don't know. So when I was listening to this and you were out of town, I sent you this in Telegram because I'm like, huh, in this 26-minute conversation, <laughs> there is a lot of stuff that I think... <laughs> Chris have, might have a lot of thoughts on. <laughs> so maybe this is a thing we should talk about. So if you want to talk about this, I was curious what your thoughts were if you listened to the episode. Oh, yeah, and I, I did. And so I, I did appreciate their honesty in their podcast. I, I feel like um, the, the war on guns is similar in a lot of ways to the war on drugs. And one way in which... It affects our society, both the war on drugs and the war on guns, is that it disproportionately affects minorities. And what it does is I think that, generally speaking, it gives power to local authorities to disregard human rights and justify the mistreatment of others. I think the war on drugs and guns has traditionally been a racist war, Uh used to impose or utilize fear in others to keep people down. It's one of the, especially gun control has historically been a racist goal and achievement of people that push gun control laws uh, throughout human history, not human history, but the United States history. And they actually kind of, Somewhat acknowledge that at the beginning of this episode. Yeah. So the, the episode starts with the in California, there were no gun laws, basically. And then in San Francisco, I'm probably mis you should listen to the episode, not listen to me. But yeah. um, the in in California, when the Black Panther Party was uh, gaining a lot of uh, power and local influence, they marched into the state house in San Francisco with their guns because it was their right to do that. And so they were. They were exercising their rights as citizens of California and citizens of the, of the United States to follow the laws, which said they could do that. They could go into the state capitol with their guns, and California said, well, we can't have that. So they passed a bunch of laws uh, banning whatever it is that they banned in the 60s against the Black Party. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's, 
how the ball started rolling on gun laws in the state of California is what they talk about in the episode. Right. What I'm worried about, what I, what I care about is not whether or not, um, I, I don't care so much about the history. What I care about is what is the effect on society and do gun laws reduce gun violence? And if gun laws reduce gun violence, then I'm pro gun laws. And if gun laws increase gun violence, then I'm anti-gun laws. Mm-hmm. So, from my from my perspective, because I don't see the world through an uh, individual rights perspective, I see the world through a what's best for all of us perspective. Because we live in a society, not uh, individuals, you know, in huts in Alaska. If you want to live in a hut in Alaska and have almost no interaction with anyone, then you can do a lot of things that you shouldn't be able to do in a society where you know the, the population is a lot more dense. And you're having effects with, on your neighbors constantly as opposed to I'm out in the woods and I see somebody once a year when I come into town for supplies, right? Mm-hmm. Those are two very different ways of living. So it seems to me that for the vast majority of us who are living in uh, urban settings, that what we should be doing as a set of laws is whatever it is that is the best for all people um, in terms of their health and safety in our country. So when I see California's statistics, and you and I have had a lot of conversations about when statistics are, you know, valuable or not, but when I see any state, if you show me statistics that say stricter gun laws, lower gun violence, it seems to me that's better for society. That's where, I, where I'm at. Do you think that they actually make that connection in, this, in the statistics that they cite in here? Well, I haven't read the studies or anything. I've just I just listened to the twenty six minute conversation where they said, "Hey, our gun laws are stronger in California, and our gun violence per capita is lower in California than right. nationally." Well, they say gun deaths specifically. That is actually an an important note. <laughs> I, I would like to add that. So, and they even talk about that a little bit when they say, "I think it's towards the end." They say, "Uh." uh rolled into gun deaths are multiple categories. Uh, one of them is suicide. Mm-hmm. And uh, the other that they don't mention is accidental deaths. And then you have um, intentional deaths, which are someone breaks into your house and you legally defend your family against a violent intruder. And then gang-related deaths with guns are rolled into there, Right. And I think the reason why that is important is because I think it's um, manipulative to say that just because the gun death rate in California is lower means that everything that California has done with relation to gun control is what is responsible for that. I think that, and I actually have lots of points about that probably enough points that we really couldn't even talk about them in a full episode. Well, so what, so are you, are you saying that if any given state has, has stricter gun laws and the gun violence, I'm not sure I understand what hair you're trying to split on gun deaths versus gun violence. And I'm not really concerned about that. I'm concerned about violence and death both. Right. If, if the, it, it seems to me that if stricter gun laws make gun violence, and or deaths lower that that's what's best for that society. Are you saying that 
there's no way to know that? Or are you saying that I'm wrong, that it's not best for society, that, that it's okay <laughs> am, to have higher gun I'm, violence because that's better than some other scenario? Or what are you saying? I'm saying that the first thing that they have to do is link gun control directly with the lower rates of death due to guns, which they have not done. They've just compared two numbers. They've said California versus the rest of the country. Well, but what, but what else, what else would you compare? So like, like we can't control all variables. It's impossible. So I think that this is all very good questions that you're asking. And actually let me get some exact words here um, that they say that I want to hit on at uh, 1630. They actually make the phrase ways to go back and design studies to compare different things. Right. So what they're trying to say here is, and I don't know how much you've looked into gun studies in general, but there's different ways for gun studies to analyze and isolate specific um, states. Yeah, but but so, are, are you saying it can never be? You, are you saying you would never trust any set of data, or are you saying it could? You could trust it under certain circumstances, but California hasn't hit a bar in your head of legitimacy of those. So I'm, I was actually getting to that, but I will oh, preface it by saying. I don't think that the peer reviews associated with gun studies apply the same rigor as other scientific and data analysis. Um, I think that that is a shame to the gun study industry. I think that um, statistically, so, and there's lots of information about this, but over the last decades, there's been over 20,000 gun studies, Right. Um, part of the problem is that they do not apply the same rigor and, um, I'm going to say intelligence and fairness to the gun studies, um, that they do scientifically around. One of the reasons why they can't do that is because gun violence is actually pretty rare in this country. Right. And that's why the statistics compared to what? Uh, as opposed as compared to one, uh, the amount of violence that occurs, generally speaking, there have and, been two hundred and twenty-five mass shootings so far this year, and that's another manipulative thing. I would caution you against using words like that. Mass shootings are defined differently according to each state. They're reported differently, and they're analyzed differently. If 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 I'm a gangbanger and I shoot. Uh, an, an offending gang, right? And and I, I only kill two of them, right? But multiple people get injured. How is that classified if compared to going into a mall and shooting it up, a, shooting up a mall, right? How is that different? Is it different? I don't know. Uh, you tell me. But I will say this, that the statistics can be manipulated easily. One way in which they do it is that they do synthetic states. Um, there was a, st a study uh, done, it was in the Northeast, I think it was Vermont, and there was a political like uh, race going on at the time, and the uh, politician that was pro-gun control said, hey, there's been this study done, and... Um, due to the, the gun control measures put into place here, uh, gun 
crime dropped like 30%, right? And, and, and the reason why I'm kind of pointing that out is because one, what it did was, is it took a synthetic state and said, if we didn't do any gun control air quotes, this is what the death rate would be. And this is what it is now. And, you know, you see these uh, crazy curves that, you know, go down like 30% and it cuts off at like 2006. And the study was done in 2013 or something like that. And, and to me, it's, it's exceptionally manipulative because for one thing, we don't know what the synthetic state is. It is an analytical technique that she's talking about here. One thing that um, I think is manipulative about it is that they don't disclose that if any other scientific study was done, the rigor involved with this would just be considered garbage, garbage, absolute garbage. Okay. And, and as a far as the rarity is concerned, um, statistically a small portion of people that die every year in the country is due to gun violence and, and the fluctuations that can occur year to year means that you could literally compare one year and a politician can say, Hey, look at what happened. And then the next year things get worse. And then the next year things fluctuate up and down to the point to where the error involved statistically, you should be able to find some of these studies out of the 22,000 that say gun control doesn't work. Right. And that's just because of variations in how statistics are gathered, how they accumulate and change year to year. And, and I think the percentage is like 5% of those studies. Even if we just assume, right, that gun control a hundred percent does like, let's say we go into look at all these 22,000 studies and say, we know because we're gods, right? And we know that these will work, right? Statistically, a certain percentage of those studies should show the opposite, just out of random chance, right? But we know that they're all manipulated because zero of them did. Okay. So Do you, you see what I'm saying? <laughs> well, no. What you're saying is 22,000 studies have been done, and you're rejecting all of them. So there are no valid studies of gun violence or gun deaths is what you're saying, right? I think that the small per- there's a small percentage of them that would re- rise to the level that they are acceptable as far as data analysts anal- analyzing goes. I think maybe a hundred of them, give or take. Where, where are you getting these numbers from? <laughs> where, so. Where um, this? this is just done from side research. Uh, there's a uh, an institute called uh, the Rand Institute. It is a nonpartisan institution, as much as you can believe that that exists. However, I will say this, that they do actually publish a lot of articles that I politically disagree with. Um, but they did a study uh, about the studies, <laughs> and they took statisticians to try to understand what was going on with these 22,000 different studies. Of the studies, around 100 of them rose to the level of scientific rigor that would be somewhat acceptable. Okay, so are you accepting those as evidence of anything, or you're not accepting Well, that's those? actually what the study came up with, is that due to the variations, there is no way to really determine through a study one way or the other. Okay. So and you're... that's what the problem is, is that there's no study out there 
that you can say gun control benefits the country. Okay. You're saying it's well, impossible to know. Yes. Okay. Well, there, there you go. That's the end of the conversation. <laughs> well, kind of. I, I, I mean, I think that they bring up some interesting points that kind of prove that idea. Who brings up interesting points? The um, this Rand the, Corporation or whatever? Well, the Rand uh, study, yes. Um, but if you don't, if you don't, if you're rejecting all twenty-two thousand of these studies, I'm surprised that you think that this one Rand Corp, Rand, whoever, that they're valid, like in an ocean of garbage. I, I could understand you saying, "Hey, look, this can't be studied." I, I don't understand that, but I could, you know. I've, oh, I say it can, but I'm just we don't have the means to do that. But anyways, go on. We don't have the means to do that. No, because that's kind of the point that I was trying to make. Um, murders are reported differently. Uh, they're all baked in together. You know, like let's say we had 10 gun deaths in, in the state of Nebraska. And we said that guns, um, make us unsafe because of all these gun deaths that happen. But what if, what if in this period of time that those 10 deaths occurred, it was because somebody owned a firearm, somebody broke into their house, threatened their life, and then they killed the person that broke into their house. How does the out of those ten deaths mean that guns are bad? That actually means that guns are good. They protected homeowners, right? They were a tool to protect themselves. How can we classify them as universally bad? That's the part of the problem with the study that I was trying to say is that you can't you can't just group everything together and say all of these are bad and look at all these look at a we have a lower percentage of all this bad category in the state of California compared to the rest of the country when everybody else in the country is completely different. And you also haven't filtered out the country or the, the parts of the country that also have strict gun control laws. You know, that's, and, and that's where it's difficult to perform the study. And it's even something that they mention in the podcast that you can't, once you initiate a law, you can't retroactively go back in time and undo that law and then look at the difference that occurred. You have to speculate. And those doing the speculation are nearly always pro-gun control. And I'll tell you why they're always pro-gun control is because the people that want gun control are the only ones that pay for these studies. So, of course, the people producing the studies are going to give them what they want to hear, right? I mean, don't you agree with that to some extent? Uh, yeah, I, I think we have an endemic gun culture in America that can't be fixed. Me and you do? Like, yeah, we're the kind of, well, like, yeah, we're two gun owners sitting here having right. this conversation. I'm, both- I'm saying that if there were fewer guns in America— Fewer people would die from guns in America, and that would be better. And I, I'm guessing that you're going to say that you have individual rights, and therefore you can't take take yours away. And right. getting millions of guns out of circulation, you can't know because you said you're 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 rejecting the the twenty two thousand studies. So it's not possible to know whether or not getting rid of guns is helpful, which I don't understand. Like you said, looking at a looking at a law. And then you can't not pass that law. So how could you know? Right. Well, you know by looking at the other states. There's 50 different states with 50 different sets of laws, right? And this is not perfect. This is problematic. But if you look at states where they have extremely, where everyone 
can carry. It's completely unrestricted firearms, except for violent felons or something, right? And then you look at extremely restricted uh, places like Illinois and, and California, and they talk quite a bit about Illinois and the problems that Illinois has and the oh, they theories do? about, yeah. So it at the end of the day, if there's a correlation there, then what my brain says to me is we are all better off in a society with fewer guns if if reducing guns reduces violence. I hear you saying it's not possible to know whether or not reducing guns reduces violence. Uh, I'm saying it's hard to determine definitively from a study that that is the case. And like they even point out in the podcast, you don't know how things would otherwise be had the law not been passed. Yeah. So I think it was a year ago. Wasn't there a a year ago? Maybe you remember this in the news. There was this guy in France that drove a vehicle and was just driving around killing people with his vehicle. Yeah. Killed like 80 people or something ridiculous. Yeah. 50 to 80. And there's like mass knife attacks. Right. That you know, happened several years ago in China. Do you know how that person got stopped driving the vehicle? I don't know. By a person with a gun. I I, I don't think. Um, and, and this is. And one thing that I hated about basic training uh, from the perspective of somebody that was going through it and as a drill sergeant. I hated the idea of one person doing something wrong and then punishing everybody else. I felt like that was unjust and I felt like it was, um, there's something morally wrong with that. So, and and what I'm saying is, is that I agree that we do have a gun problem associated with culture problems in this country, but I don't think that the guns that me and you own are a part of that problem. So what do you think our gun problem is? I think it's a cultural issue. I think it's a lack of value of the lives of other people issue. I think um, um, it's a lack of allowing people to defend themselves. And then the people responsible for taking away their right to defend themselves are never held accountable for that. And I, I think that that's an atrocity. And and how this podcast started off is a perfect example of that. I do think that uh, those African-Americans that wanted to just stop the atrocities that were happening to them and they open carried as a result – to prevent people from uh, with the ability to use force, to be able to use it openly without re, uh, repercussions for their actions. And then we demonize them from being able to use those weapons to defend themselves. I, I think trying to say that that was justified because statistically California is different than all other States combined is an oversimplification and it's just, it's it's misleading. I, I don't I don't follow. Who said what you just said? What do you mean, California? Like so, all all fifty states have. Well, it, I guess it doesn't matter. Like like the only evidence I have is statistics, and you're you're rejecting the studies, so I can't. We can't talk about that. I mean, there's no point. Well, actually, that's a <laughs> so, good point. I, I was actually trying to find in the podcast a link to the study. Did you find it? No, no. All, all I did was listen to 26 minutes and say, oh, man, Chris is going to have a heyday with this thing. <laughs> and that's just it. I, I don't think, generally speaking, that if somebody has an established right, that statistics, and we've said this before, I, I don't think that statistics are a valid reason to take that away from them. So so there's no point at which our gun violence per capita, say, 
I mean, and you said gun violence is rare, and that blows my mind because my understanding is globally we have insane. But you know, again, these are statistics. So if you don't, mm-hmm. if you don't buy into that, then there's no point in offering this as evidence. But say whatever our gun violence is right now, like we can count a lot of that, right? Like we know mm-hmm. that so many shootings happened in Omaha last year. We, we know that though. Omaha Public Police Department reports that, right? So if that number doubles and that number doubles again and that number doubles again, what happens in my brain is, holy shit, we need to get rid of guns because there's a bunch of people who cannot handle responsible gun ownership. There's just a massive crime spree and you have to strip them completely out of society. That's the only way you're going to get the gun deaths down. Even if the gun deaths were valid gun deaths, like people defending themselves in their homes against intruders or police uh, shooting aggressive people, um, somebody stopping uh, somebody else with a gun, generally speaking. I mean, are, are you saying that those type of deaths don't matter? Uh, that they the distinguishing between the type of deaths that we're counting here don't matter? No, that's a good point. So now I'm imagining that what you're proposing is scenarios like men are beating women in the streets and maybe police or citizens come along with firearms and they kill that person who is, who is beating the person. And that's a justified homicide. Is that called homicide? Uh, yeah. What, what is uh, that called? I think it's yeah, justifiable homicide, which would count as a gun death. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So, all right, so let me back up. So what what you're saying is there's good gun violence and there's bad gun violence. I would say that none of it's good, but some of it's justified. Yes, go on. <laughs> yeah, no, you're right. I agree. Yeah. I agree. Don't I agree? Yeah, I agree. Sorry, I'm thinking. And some of it is also neutral. Neutral gun violence? N- not as far as like bad or good, but as far as like justified, it's like... So if I, if I want to kill myself uh-huh. and a gun is just the tool I use when I have lots of options, you know, I could use rope, you know, I could use prescription drugs. Um, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. Right. I, I, I think that, uh, only associating gun, like associating suicides as a part of the statistics for, for gun deaths is an error in the sense that we don't do the same thing. We don't, we don't, we don't say to ourselves, well, this many people killed themselves by starting their vehicle in their garage. You know, if we just reduce the amount of vehicles people owned, you know, we would help this statistic, right? (laughs) I, we definitely don't look at other ways that people kill themselves and say, well, we need to restrict this. Um, it, it quite, I, I think that those technically should just be completely thrown out as part of the gun death. It's just the way people commit suicide. If we want to reduce those deaths, the only way we do it is with mental health, right? Guns are irrelevant in that case. It's just another tool. Well, it's Uh, an extremely convenient tool for suicide. So are knives slitting your wrists. So is, I mean, Mm. using CO2 with cars is really convenient. I, I, I mean, I would say that'd probably be the way I'd choose. I can't fit my cars in my garage, so. Yeah, well, I mean, I can't fit my truck in there. 
I guess I'd have to use my wife's car, which would be really jacked up. <laughs> um, uh, and then, and then there's the accidental ones. I don't think, I don't think those should be rolled in there either. Um, as far as gun deaths every year, do, do more people die from gun deaths or from drunk drivers? You know, if, if more die from drunk drivers, why not say, well, let's make alcohol illegal, illegal. Cause we've already made drunk driving illegal. I, I think that, uh, I think that we don't really correctly even identify. So I was actually having this mental thought thing the other day because you don't see in the news when people prevent an attack through private gun ownership very often. There was actually one that happened in West Virginia last week where a guy uh, was driving through a neighborhood and somebody asked him to slow down because he was driving recklessly. So he goes home and gets an, AR-15 and comes back to that same neighborhood. Well, the woman that told him, I, I think he actually shot shot some people and stuff. I think the, the very same woman that told, asked him to slow down uh, had a concealed carry permit, and she shot him with a pistol and killed him, prevented him from it being a big, massive story where, uh, you know, however many people died from some asshole that wants to go off people, right? I mean, where was that in the news? I mean, where... Where is it in the news when somebody um, uh, pulls a gun to just stop somebody but doesn't even kill the attacker? Um, they just It's just a deterrence. None of that stuff is ever talked about. I, I, I think that as a part of all of these studies, that's never even taken into account, which is defensive gun ownership and use. Mm-hmm. And, and not only that, but uh, I, I think there's things that even these gun uh, studies even point out that people don't even focus on and, and case in point. Oh, why should they? Because you're saying the studies are all invalid. Why should anyone pay attention to the studies? So, and and that's a very good question. So you have the ones that I kind of agree with at least somewhat that I can get behind, right? The hundred or so those are never reported on. And the reason why they're never reported on is because they're honest, they're humdrum about it. They're like, Hey, we went out and we tried to study this, but we can't come to any conclusions. Um, uh, we, there's no consistent data. There's so many fluctuations in the amount of deaths uh, between, you know, you can make, you can manipulate it into uh, all of these statistical problems that we've already discussed. So, so you're but, saying of the 22,000, you thought a hundred were valid. And the reason they're valid is because they came to the conclusion that it can't be done. No, uh, oh. I am saying that <laughs> <Okay>. the rigor <laughs> that they applied to the study uh-huh. forced them to be honest about the results and the results were nothing. It can't be done. They generally all were pro gun control, but they were humdrum about it. Right. They said, well, we think that this helps, but we can't prove it. Right. The only studies what? that have ever been quoted are the other end of the, ex- the spectrum where the study is garbage, absolutely garbage where they make these crazy, insane pronouncements. Oh, we know with a hundred percent certainty that, oh, that's all related. And if we just got rid of guns or if we just did this one thing, all of our problems would magically go away with guns. I, I think that that, um, well, yeah, and guns, there's a way, reason you wouldn't have gun problems. <laughs> there's a reason that's why politicians work. quote those gun controls studies, right? Because they're extravagant. Right there, oh, reduce violence and crime by forty percent. Ridiculous things that people 
hear the numbers and they're like, wow, I got to do this. Oh, I'm so afraid of all these guns around me. Let me, let me just get rid of it and all our problems will be solved. I think Shouldn't it's delusional. people be afraid? Of guns themselves? Yeah. Are you afraid of your guns? I'm not afraid of my guns. I know where mine are. Oh, me too. I'm afraid that my kids' schools are going to get shut up again. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, I, I would, I would fear that too. But I, I think that uh, the only way to really prevent that is to make them not a safe haven for people that want to go do that. Make what not a safe haven for? Oh, you're saying add the, more guns to schools? Not add more guns to schools, but at least give people the right to defend themselves in schools. Children? So that, Give the children the right? No, to? who would do that? I mean, the teachers, of course. Oh, you want the teachers armed? I don't in, want in them classrooms. armed. I want to give them the choice to be armed. There's a difference. And even just the choice to be armed could be, in fact, enough to deter people from going to those places and specifically targeting them. That guy that shot up that elementary school is one of the biggest pieces of shit that I've heard in a long time. The reason why is because he has no sense of human life, for starters. But he went to a place where he knew there would be no opposition, right? There was no opposition because so, people are prohibited from carrying a firearm to defend themselves on school property. Okay, so my kid's trying to learn math and the teacher's at the front of the room with a gun on his hip. That's better? Uh, it doesn't have to be on his hip. However, I can see why people would be a little freaked out about that Fuck and yeah. why I'm, a, I'm exceptionally neutral about it. Is because I'm worried the fucking kids are going to have a bad day and grab it and do something stupid because there's a lot of fucking unstable bullshit that happens in high schools. Well, I mean, they're definitely, I mean, we could definitely see if, if, if that happens, you know, with the armed guards, they're usually at schools where they are, you know, I, I would imagine that doesn't happen very often. Well, yeah, because they're not teaching. They're not distracted. They have one job, which is to be security. They're not trying to teach math. You right. Know? And their holsters are double retainered or whatever they, you know, and blah, 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 blah. So, so yeah, in, in a crazy fucking world where we have to have guns at schools, which just sucks. If that's the world we have to be in so that, you know, people can have guns, then I would prefer we'd just have armed security at the school, not teachers are carrying guns. I mean, that's, that seems insane to me. Well, I mean, if, if it was me let, let being me, the teacher, I mean, you would say, oh, no, Chris, you can't do that. Or, or are you saying it's just untrained people that have it or the fact that they're teachers, they can't have it? Or uh, or you think that they should be setting kind of a pacifist examples as teachers? Or No, what, what I want is to live in a country where we don't have to have, to have this kind of discussion. Short of that, what I would want is a a building that's, secured so that, that nobody has to worry about it once they're in there mm -hmm. short of that what i would prefer is that we have officers on staff which i you know i think we do like in, in omaha aren't there isn't there like one guy with a gun at a high school and stuff like that yeah you mean a target with a gun but anyways go ahead <laughs> so i would well so in yeah in the cascading hellscape that is life in america with guns those would be my preferences from, you know, best to worst. And I just, I just don't, it just, it strikes me as insanity as a gun owner who, who I like my guns. My guns are fun. You know, you go out and you shoot them and it's, it's a good time. And my guns have never hurt anybody. And I don't think they ever will, but the price that we pay nationally for, <laughs> I, don't, I don't understand. For well, me, I mean, for me is... it's not a religion. It's a hobby. 
and I can give up my hobbies for the good of everyone. I guess I just consider it a right. I have a, and it's not so, and that's one of the things that I just hear is, is weird. You know, you hear Biden always saying, well, it's not a right or, um, you hear other like scholars saying it was never considered a right. I think one of the things that Biden keeps saying over and over again is that private citizens couldn't own cannons. Um, but in fact they could, <laughs> I, and, and that another one that you hear is, um, that the second amendment wasn't for personal protection. It was meant for militias. Uh, but that can't be true. Uh, in, at least in my mind, simply because of the wording of the text for one, and two, because one of the things that uh, gun control advocates want judges to interpret the law as um, and what they're fighting against interpreting it as, I should say, is a, a text, history and tradition interpretation of the con- Constitution. And they, they don't want that. Right. If if it wasn't part of history and it wasn't part of what's actually written in the text and, and see, to me, it's not about having a hobby. It's not about going out hunting. It's about me having a right to defend myself. That does not mean that somebody has a right to go out and and gangbang or shoot up at an elementary school. Those are unrelated. So do you have a right to take your gun into work? Well, I think ideally I could. Um, is, is that a workplace you would want to work in is where everybody's toting guns? I mean, I, I did do that in the Army, and I thought it was okay. I mean, I didn't have a problem. I think and that was actually one of the things I was going to say is that somebody carrying a gun doesn't, it doesn't freak me out. It doesn't worry me. It doesn't bother me. Uh, my dad carried a gun to work every day. Uh, my childhood, you know, for 20 years, I saw somebody and multiple people um, having a gun on their, on their side. Um, when I was in the army uh, in Afghanistan, I had an M4 that mm-hmm. I carried around everywhere I went in a group of people that always had an M4 and a sidearm. I, th- to me, it's there's nothing inherently wrong with a gun in and of itself. Yeah. No, I, because that is your job. Your right. job is to be dangerous. Your job is to have the capacity to kill people. That's what the Army does, right? You. I would say not dangerous. <laughs> As a side note to that comment. <laughs> Isn't well, that the job of militaries is to fuck shit up? It is, but it's not to be dangerous. And what I mean by that is that, um, so we were, uh, Ashland is actually a uh, training facility for uh, non-commissioned officers. I forget what it's called. Anyways, one of the things that you have to do is like a, a field project where you kind of assault stuff and things like that, but you're given real weapons, but you're given um, uh, uh, dummy rounds. So, and, and what it is, is it's just got gunpowder in it. And then you put something like a clamp on the end of your, your barrel, right? And and you're just doing exercises. Um, in the military, we would actually combine that with ba- basically like a form of laser tag, right? And uh, well, anyways, what what uh, happened was is that somebody wanted to determine if their weapon was unsafe. So they determined that by attempting to squeeze the trigger and seeing if it went off. So regardless of whether or not there was a live round in the chamber, that's actually still considered an accidental discharge by the military. This happened on several occasions during this training exercise, something that I never saw on active duty. Uh, I was never worried about being around people with guns on active duty, but I felt that. So once this first guy did it and he tested it and somebody uh, like, what happened? What happened? Somebody else was like, I guess they wanted to test theirs to see if it was unsafe. So instead of looking at it, they squeezed the trigger. 
I think that that's absolutely ridiculous and actually dangerous, right? <laughs> no uh, kidding. So part of that is, and all of these things contribute to the overall statistic, single statistic, it seems like, that they focused on about California. A gun in my and your closets is vastly different than some immature asshole that has a, a an AR-15 in his child's closet that's unlocked, you know. I would argue that that is dangerous and that that person is really putting society at risk. I would not look at what me and you do as putting society as a whole at risk. And that's why I say that I personally have an individual right. And because of the dickhead that wants to stick it in his child's closet doesn't mean that you can take them away from me. And that's really ultimately all I ever try to say about that is that if you want to punish somebody else, that's fine. You know, punish them, uh, use the court system to take, their right to keep and bear arms away from them. But let's just keep it where it deserves and where it should be. Um, okay, yeah. So I, I take your point, the military and being a police officer, the, the gun in America, anyway, the, the gun is the job. Obviously you get very comfortable with guns. They're fucking everywhere. And that's because that's part of the job. Now what I'm talking about is you in civilian life, right? You're trying to earn a living. You're an engineer. You're really good at what you do, right? And now you have employees that you have to hire and fire, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm asking you, when you go when you go downtown to do your job and you have to fire somebody and they've got a gun on their hip, to me, that is a huge negative life event. <laughs> well, let, I- let, let me give you a story. So we're, we're running a, a dirt bike dirt bike park, an OHV facility in Council Bluffs years ago, right? And we were having a really hard time getting the Department of Natural Resources guy to do his freaking job. Like we would wait months for him to do a tiny sliver of work for us when he's drawing a full-time salary off of their tax money, right? It was very frustrating that we couldn't get him to return a phone call and email, you know, and we were very, very frustrated with this guy. Well, this guy comes in, and he's also the game warden, right? So he comes in, and we're going to have this conversation about, hey, we really need these facilities. You know, we pay all this tax money. We pay all these fees, and you have to do these things. Well, he comes in armed, and immediately I'm like, well, I'm not going to argue with a fucking armed guy. So... Because I don't do that. I don't argue with people who are armed. <laughs> when I go to gun clubs or I go to a shooting event, there's no conflict. I'm not going to get into conflict around guns. That's not me. I'll just leave. Mm-hmm. So for me, it was entirely disruptive of the process we were trying to bring to bear, which was management of an off-highway vehicle facility entirely disruptive that this guy was one, you know, a jackass in my opinion, and two armed when he walked into Godfather's pizza to have this meeting with us. Finally, (laughs) after we've been begging him for months to do his job, please, could you please do your job? The one thing that you're paid to do, could you please do it? That would be nice. You know, groveling basically for this guy to lift a finger to do his job. Mm. Very frustrating. So, and he walks in with a gun. I'm like, well, shit, now what are we going to (laughs) do? Are we going to get into a pissing match with the armed guy? Yeah. <laughs> of course not. Right. So you have to fire somebody, and they're armed. That seems to me like a crazy universe to have to worry that he's going to kill you. 
I mean, what I would be worried that they were going to kill me. Like if I've got an employee who's underperforming and I'm his source of income and I, I have to fire them after a bunch of warnings because maybe they, you know, whatever they're underperforming or they stole shit or they're just, you know, massively incompetent. They can't do the job. They can't train up in the new system, like whatever. Right. If we have a bunch of tension because, you know, he was lying to me a couple of times and then, you know, and then he sent this email where he thought I wouldn't see it and it turns, you know, whatever, you know, this chain of events escalates and we're in a tension situation because I'm about to take his salary away from him because that's my job is to fire shitty employees and he's armed. I wouldn't do that job. And I know it's different in the military because everybody's armed. Well, they're not, they're not even armed like military bases, right? Everyone on base isn't armed. Right. And that's actually one reason why they're a focus for, uh, shootings. Yeah. So because my, they, they so, don't have a way to defend themselves. Go yeah, on. So, yeah. So my point is, do you really want your job as an electrical engineer and manager of people that you have to hire and fire? You want guns in that environment? I don't want guns in that environment. Do you? Um, do you want people to have the right to just tote guns if they choose to? Because because you're more afraid that some rando is going to come off the street than you are that some person who actually works there is going to fly off the handle? I think that's a valid question. I, I think that in oh, my particular uh, work environment, um, I, I do think that we actually have a really good security system. You can't get up to where I am without a, a, a way. Um, basically, all people that can come up to where I work are vetted in a way. So is that good or is that bad? I, I think that that's good. It, it could be bad. Um, I guess my point is is that um, there's uh, things are controlled. We have security guards at the front. They're looking at people. I feel safe, uh, generally speaking. However... There is no law that says that people cannot conceal carry in the workplace. It's just against company policy, right? Is it posted on the door? Oh, it you is. You can't conceal carry? Then it is a law. You can't. In the state of Nebraska, if it's posted, then it's a gun violation to go in there. That's true, except, I like, let's say somebody broke in. Let's say, for the sake of argument, I had a, conce a concealed carry weapon at work. Uh -huh. somebody broke in and did start shooting people mm -hmm. and I pulled my concealed carry out to shoot them. Would mm -hmm. I go to jail? No, you wouldn't go to jail. Right. right. So that's, that's kind of what my point I, is. I mean, assuming you hit him now and you didn't hit three other innocent bystanders or nobody ever came, but I accidentally was pulling a pencil out of my backpack and it stuck into the trigger guard and shot my person in the next cubicle over. Yeah. I'd, I'd, Go to jail, right? <laughs> so, I think so. So there is, um, th there is a fine line there, uh, and that fine line is, it, it to me, it's not worth it to take a gun to work because I feel sufficiently protected. But if I worked at the Phillips sixty six that gets robbed every week, and and it's already had two tellers that died over the last ten years, uh, but Phillips sixty six has a no gun policy, I definitely would not fault somebody for concealed carrying at that job. Would you? I'm not saying open carry. I'm just saying conceal carry to for his own personal protection. Would I fault them? Nothing bad ever happens. You just happen to, he's reaching up to get you some, some of the good stuff 
off the top shelf and you see maybe the bottom of his, maybe the bottom edge of whatever he's concealed carrying, would you like freak out like, oh my God, this guy's going to kill me? Well, so my, my take is I prefer to know what the laws are in, in the area where I am. And I prefer to see that everyone around me is behaving in a law abiding manner. Mm -hmm. So I think I know the Nebraska laws and the Omaha city limits laws pretty well. And so if what I see is violating the law, then I'm going to leave. I'm going to be very uncomfortable and leave that situation because once someone has decided that they don't have to follow the laws, then I would rather be giving my business somewhere where people are law abiding. I feel safer in places where people are obeying whatever the laws are. So if we voted in measures which said open carry for everybody, right, and I saw someone open carrying, I wouldn't wouldn't be concerned about that because it's legal after that change of Omaha City Ordinance, for example, to open carry because we've passed that law. I would be far less concerned. Mm-hmm. So but, and I, I think that this I think this is kind of illustrative of how laws generally work. I think it's kind of more of like the real world application of laws in the sense that people will do what they need to to protect themselves. Um, and, and I think that when they do those things contrary to the laws, it desensitizes them to the value of laws in general. I think that that's actually what happened during prohibition. I think that that's actually what transferred a lot of pr- uh, money to mobs uh, during the prohibition that people didn't inherently see what was wrong with what they were doing. And therefore they continued to break the law and they got desensitized to breaking the law. I I think that if we have laws where people can't defend themselves effectively, and then they break those laws in order to defend themselves, that's the extent to what they do. Then they don't see the laws as giving them value. I think that there's some, I I think there's something to be said about that. However, I I do agree with you in the sense that, you know, when you see people with a mental attitude that the laws don't matter, that that's a cause for concern. Um, I I think that that's one of the the core arguments of people that are anti-gun control, though, Um, in the sense that if I have an intent to kill you, what difference does it make if... I'm breaking a law that's minor to that. You know, if I want to cause some evil mayhem and I want to kill little children that can't defend themselves, why would I follow a law that says you can't take a gun to do it? No, of course you wouldn't. In in my version of the universe, we would get rid of hundreds of millions of guns. They would cease to exist. Right. That's, That's what would happen. And so, obviously, duh there's going to be less gun violence because there's just <laughs> hundreds of millions of viewers of guns. That's, right. that's my version of a healthier society. Right. And, and then people have knives and people have cars. Yeah. But and, it's hard to kill 40 people with a knife. It's not impossible, but it's right. much less likely. But the person that does die to a knife, um, that could have defended himself has been disarmed. And I think that that's the evil thing that occurred. Yeah, that's that's one of the prices you pay is that for random violence that s- someone who hypothetically could have defended themselves with a gun won't have a gun. Right. And they could have had one. 
that's yeah. hypothetically true and something that I'm, I'm willing to permit. And, and I think that if you're the victim of domestic violence and you are willing to train yourself on gun use, for example, you should be able to have a gun. Like I want the victims of domestic violence if they want to, I'm not saying encourage them to do it. I'm saying if you've been beaten, then you, and you want to carry a gun to protect yourself. I'm willing to let you do that legally is what I'm saying. So I'm not saying a society that where there are no guns, you know, I, I think it would be great (laughs) if we could get to a place where every cop didn't have to have guns because they didn't need them. Mm -hmm. You're always going to have, you know, SWAT or whatever for special events, you know, armed bank robberies or whatever. There's always going to be a need for response with guns, but in a urbanized setting, if it's possible to do law enforcement without needing deadly force, that would be great. Now, obviously you can't do that. If the people committing the crimes are armed, you can't have, you can't try to have a police force that has less firepower than the people doing the crimes clearly. But in my society over generationally, we would get to the point where there's just hundreds of millions of fewer guns in circulation and therefore guns become far more rare than they are. So I don't think you ever answered my question Uh when you're working at your job, right? Do you want their, do you want the right to that? You said you feel adequately protected at, at your situation physically, right? Like, but do you think the world would be a better place if some people were just concealed carrying or open carrying in the workplace and you had people as a manager, you have to hire and fire people and they may or may not have a gun on them when you do that. I, I do think the world would be a better place if people were allowed to defend themselves everywhere they go. And that means that I would be rolled into that. And I believe that that's a human right. And not only that, but there was actually the case in Western Nebraska. Was it two years ago where it, it it's funny you asked that question. I, it almost sounded like you, we're asking it because you heard of this instance, but uh, it was at a grain fact, uh, a grain mill or something, uh, kind of like North Central. He was a, a garbage person that uh, got laid off. He actually had a concealed carry permit, went home, got his firearm, which he didn't take to work originally, and came back and started shooting people. Mm-hmm. And you know how he was stopped? It wasn't the police. They actually had a shotgun kept at the office. Somebody knew where it was, went and got it, and and stopped him by shooting him with his shotgun. Which they wouldn't have needed if that guy didn't have a gun, right? So like in my hypothetical imaginary rainbow universe, where yeah. we get rid of, I mean, you're never going to get rid of all the guns, but yeah. if 99% of the guns did not exist in this country, then the chances that he would have access to a gun are insanely rare. So you don't need a gun to stop the guy with a gun. Yeah. And as a side note though, I think that um, guns are today what rocks were 150, 200 years ago. Um, It's hard to kill 50 people with one rock. No, but um, what I'm trying to say is, is that even if we prohibited them, um, it would be easy for someone to make one. Um, 
I mean, we live in the information age. Uh, we live in an age where you can actually buy a CNC uh, machine where you can make your own firearm. Um, yeah, but that's most, actually what ghost guns are, is people that make their own firearms. Yeah, but most people are lazy and they won't. Right? Yeah. Like if they can go down to the store and buy one for $300, they will. And if they can't, they won't. Yeah. Or from, you know, whoever. Yeah. At the end of the day, uh, one thing that they do comment on in here is that, you know, we just want to make things better with gun control. Right. I, I think that um, we live in an age where guns themselves are what's demonized instead of the behavior that leads up to these events. That's why if, if, if you bent over to pick something up right now, literally right now, and I saw you carrying a firearm right now, I would not worry at all. Right. Why the fuck would I bring a gun? I no, would be, I'm not you saying. You should be worried. Why would I bring a gun over here? <laughs> you should because, be worried about my mental health. <laughs> because of your character. I, I don't think I'm like but bad what, at judging people's character. No, I'm saying what valid reason would I have to be armed coming here? To protect yourself. From who? From you? No, uh, not from me. I think I'm a good person too. But uh, like... So my From gun, Missy? no, <laughs> I'm gonna shoot your all dog? my guns are in a safe way over there, right? All right. Show if, if someone what's were the, to what's break the combination, again? <laughs> if someone were what's to come head? in and you had a firearm that I did not, right, and started shooting up my house, shooting my dogs, trying to go after Kelly, you would literally be the only line of defense that we had. Because and, yeah, and but, that's because I know you. But you, for common courtesy, I should. Say, oh, hey, Chris, I conceal carry fucking everywhere now, so I'm going to be armed if that's cool, right? I should say that before I come into your house, right? As far as I'm concerned, you are free to carry a firearm into my house. No, I know, but isn't it, if you came over packing to my house and didn't tell me you were going to pack ever, like if we had never had that conversation once, right? and you showed up with my house at a gun, with a gun, I mean, you did show up at my house with a gun one time, but you told me in advance you were coming with a gun, so I didn't have to work. <laughs> you can't just walk in. Right. So <laughs> I'm saying if I had a I, gun and we had never talked about me having a gun, you should be worried. There's a I'm difference saying. here. And to me, <laughs> I get your point, though. Yeah. A gun in and of itself is not a threat. It's the person that's the threat. And I, I, I think that that's what uh, gun control enthusiasts <laughs> fail to always kind of uh, reconcile with pro 2A people like myself, which is that there's a difference between Californians and people that are in Chicago. Um, people in California are very rich, generally speaking, than the rest of the country. They'd probably be better off making a correlation to how much money you make with how much gun violence happens. And, and, and that then how many given guns are in a society or how many, um, gun laws there are on the books. Um, murdering people in and of itself is breaking the law. <laughs> so what's another law? <laughs> um, yeah, I, no, I would physically get rid of the guns. That's, yeah. that would be the, the change. Yeah. And in, if we lived in, in an universe. ideal world where I thought that that would work, I would agree with you. I just don't think that that would work. Yeah. No, I'm not yeah. saying I know that it would work. Yeah. yeah what I, I'm yeah. saying is we don't even try. We don't. <laughs> yeah. like, and Canada just passed the, uh, did you, did you see the Canadian law that just passed yesterday? Oh yeah. I think that's an atrocious violation of individual rights, but anyways, go on. But they're Canadians. So who cares? Right. Yeah. I yeah. mean, they are <laughs> neighbors. 
I mean, I think pacifism is basically what got France overran by Hitler, right? I I, I think that uh, I think one thing that we're missing in in this society today is is uh, uh, brave men and women who who realize that it's okay to protect yourself and your family and to do it fiercely. Um, I feel like that's a noble way to be, and to deny people the tools of of doing that is morally reprehensible to me. Yeah. You remember when they sent an email or something that they were going to take Kiwi back or something? And I'm like, okay, well, let's go barricade the street. <laughs> you remember that? <laughs> uh, that was a good time. Yeah. So, it, so if you're so pro second amendment and you should have the right to defend yourself at all times, why, wouldn't you petition your place of work for that? Right. Like, I, I think that would be terrible. I don't want to work in a workplace where everyone's carrying guns. Cause then I feel like I got to walk around freaking eggshells with everybody. I can't just have an open, quick, you know, dis. you know, it, it, it changes the vibe of contention when people are armed. Right. To me. Well, there is certain, certainly some aspect of people that, uh, you know, when they act, irrationally when they uh, get angry or when they get fearful or, or these various different things. So, so I understand why a, my, the company that I work for has a sign on the front door that says no concealed carrying allowed. Mm-hmm. There's a certain level of liability that would come for the company itself um, by removing that sticker. And there'd probably be even a perception with people that are like-minded to you of removing the sticker and the, and the risks involved with that. I can kind of understand that. Um, it, it's never been a focus for me at work uh, simply because I do believe in, in private property rights. And if they want to say to me, you can't take a firearm onto our property. I, I think that it's important to honor that as someone that respects boundaries of other people. Right. I mean, that's why I asked if I could bring my gun over to your house, right? I, I, uh, I, even at the time, I didn't even know you that well. I just knew that you had a workbench over there I could use, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so the, the thing is, is that I think that there is a measure of protection that comes from the uncertainty of whether or not someone is carrying or not. And there is a measure of, Protection that comes from prohibition, protection towards people that are pieces of shit that want to do harm to other people. I think that's why schools are chosen as places to go gun down people, because there's no opposition to those evil intents. So if you had school aged kids, would you feel safer if those kids were surrounded by guns all day long? I'm saying if I don't I don't think that everybody should be issued a gun. I'm just all the only thing I want is for people to be able to defend themselves without the threat of being thrown in prison for doing that. And that means that you cannot prohibit it. I, I think that if we said, all right, teachers, if you want to and you're trained or you pass certification, we will allow you to carry a personal firearm as long as it is hidden and secure and done in a professional way, if we just said to people, you can do that, I don't think hardly any teachers would even take advantage of that. However, 
would-be pieces of shit that want to go in there and mow down children don't know that. And I think it would deter people from going to these mass murder safe havens. That's it. I, I don't think that it benefits a society for everyone to carry. I think it benefits society to allow people to protect themselves. Yeah. That's it. I remember very clearly being so bored in school that I was having competitions with myself to see how fast I could pick locks on the various uh, cabinets and mm -hmm. things in chemistry lab. Yeah. And how, how, how fast could I get to the point where I'm just picking every lock, you know, in there <laughs> because that's how bored I was. And so to me, if I had known that, Oh, and the teacher keeps yeah. a Smith and Wesson, <laughs> like, I don't think I would have done anything about that, but you know, most locks suck and are easy to pick. Yeah. And, uh, I'm not even saying it needs to be locked. I mean, I think, uh, uh, you can dem demonstrate uh, safety with firearms without locking it up. Yeah. I don't know how in a fistfight situation with a, with normal concealed carry, that gun is not secured. You know, you can't be wrestling somebody. At least I wouldn't, I wouldn't wrestle somebody if I had concealed carry on me. There, there is certainly a, a measure to establishing distance and control that way for sure. So yeah. in in a school situation where, you know, sh shit happens and kids get rowdy. I just don't see how guns 99.999% of the time right. would be helpful. Well, I, I, I do understand. Like I, I, I agree with you that in the case of, Oh, active shooter, we hear shots down the hall and maybe the, um, the tragedy can be smaller if there are people who know what they're doing and can make sure that that person can't just go room to room unopposed. Right. That, theoretically, that's helpful. Constitutionally, and I was actually surprised to hear this, there is, no, there is nothing that requires police officers to put their lives on the line to save your life. I, I think that that's one of the things that we miss from not allowing people to defend themselves with the proper tools is that when that day comes and there's some uncertainty, it's going to bog the police down. They're not going to be there to save you. They're going to be there to clean up the pieces. I think a lot of people don't realize that there is some things, it's just more reliable for you to do yourself. And, and I think that personal defense is one of those things that if you don't do it and take it upon yourself to be an expert at it, not a, not even an expert, but proficient at it or reasonable at it, that if that time comes where you do have to defend yourself, there's not going to be anybody there to help you. People just talking negatively about the cops down there in Texas about, you know, what happened with the school. Um, I, I think a lot of people realize, or maybe they don't realize, that there is nothing that obligates a police officer to not go home to their own family to save yours, Right. <laughs> I, I guess I kind of look at it like personal protection is your job, my job. It's, and um, Well, and you talk so strongly and passionately about this that it's surprising to me that, as far as I know, you're not in any kind of self-defense mode of any kind. What do you mean? You're not, you're not concealed carrying anywhere. I assume you don't drive around with a gun. Maybe you do. I assume you don't have, like, fast release in here. Maybe you do. But... You know, you listening to you talk 
I would think that someone who didn't know you would think that you just carry all the time, <laughs> you know, which some people do. Some people every day carry, you know, in, and, their, in their house even. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, and and this is actually one thing that I think is actually related to the California study, something that they don't want to point out. Um, if I if I did work or live in a place that was more susceptible to that, I would. Um, um, I I at the end of the day, I think that people like you and me, <laughs> correct me if I'm wrong here, but you know, like uh like me and you seem to be pretty similar in, as far as like our daily activities, you know, we're, neither one of us are going out to a bar and getting drunk at night. We're not going out and uh, uh, hitting up like dance clubs and, or being in risky areas, or we're not uh, going to the bad parts of town where there's gang violence. Um, we're, we're, it's certainly not part of our job to do so Rel- relatively speaking, even though we're surrounded by guns in this neighborhood, nearly hear people practicing with them every weekend. We are extremely safe out here. I'm extremely safe at work. If that was different, I would. I I think that there is a measure of an estimation in people's minds at how safe they are at any given time. Well, my guns come out when I feel unsafe. They You do? Like you get them out and like stick them on the table or something? I haven't done this in this house yet. (laughs) Um no, but the reason I own them is for the scenario where I'm like, oh, okay, now we're going to have to bring these out, mm-hmm. you know, and yeah. that's never happened to me. And hopefully it never does. Yeah. Hopefully society doesn't have some kind of breakdown of that. No, my, my, my point earlier was that you talk about it so passionately that I would expect you to be the kind of person who carries all the time and you don't. And I'm just curious about that. And, and, and that's it. It's so because for it's me, not, it's sad. For me, it's like, oh, fuck. I have these things. And part of the reason I have them, other than just the hobby fun of it, mm-hmm. is that if massive racial violence breaks out or, you know, people are throwing firebombs into the synagogue or some shit, you know, because suddenly everyone went anti-Jewish or anti-Islam or fucking anti-whatever, then I want the ability to meet force with force to protect people that may or may not be able to protect themselves. Mm-hmm. If, if those people want my help, right. Which they might not because I'm a fucking moron that <laughs> <laughs> just happens to, you know, so, but I, but I think it's, it's so rare, but if you know, the, the, the most plausible scenario is I start getting threatening phone calls because somebody, you know, watched my videos on YouTube or something and they get pissed off mm-hmm. and they're they're They start, you know, texting me death threats or something. Right. Well, okay. Now I'm in defense mode. Yeah. And that sucks. I don't want to be in that mode, but you talk so passionately about it as a positive thing to be able to defend yourself that I think that's one of the differences between how we see the issue. I see it as a fucking sad last resort and you see it as some kind of proud right that you have as an American citizen. I think you're right. Actually, I, I am passionate about it, but I don't personally feel like I'm at risk and, and carrying a firearm values me at the same time. When I see other people living in these areas or needing to deal with these issues, I'm passionate about it because I feel like it's important to, as a safe person <laughs> in, in a, 
a low risk area, living a low risk lifestyle style for me to go cast a vote to take it away from somebody else that may need it. That's technically what I'm passionate about. I don't think I should do that as a person to advocate for the taking away of other people's right that may need it more than I do. I, I think that that's important to distinguish because, um, I mean, you know, I, I love YouTube. I watch YouTube all the time. One thing that really struck me one time was this guy that was uh, it was on Active Self-Protecting Channel that I, that I love. This guy um, uh, was with his family, and they were going, uh, they were shopping or something. I can't remember exactly what they were doing. Um, uh, but somebody came up at the, at, a, at the point of a gun to to uh, to steal uh, and and threatened him and his family, his wife and his kids, and uh, uh, he basically he had a concealed carry permit. He was a black guy. He, he defended himself. Um, I don't, I don't, I can't remember if he just scared him away or he killed him or whatever. He must've, he must've killed one of them. Anyways, the cops come and, and, uh, uh, this, uh, active self-protection channel did like a whole podcast that was talking about him as a black man going through the experience of defending himself. And, and, and to me that struck me how much people take stereotypes and they take, um, uh, outward things and they take fear and then they roll it up into these solutions that help them feel better about themselves. I don't want to be that. I, I don't want to live my life in fear in such a way that I create victims. And, and that's what, that is what I'm passionate about. I, I don't think that that, that person that defended himself and his family should go through any repercussions. I think he has every right to defend himself and to create laws that we can use to attack this person or good people in general is not the direction I think is appropriate for a society that to go into, especially to react that way out of fear because of a thing, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, that's it. I, I think that's essentially what no, I'm I, I, about. I think the point that I would take from your, what you just said is that, um, I have not experienced gun violence and it's, it's important. I think that the people who are living it, the people who are in the neighborhoods where a lot of this is happening, you know, the shot spotter where the shot spotter network is set up and, you know, there's high response rates and stuff. Um, those voices are the voices that should be heard the most yeah. on guns. And I'd be the first to say that if they tell me, don't take my fucking guns away, I'd be like, Oh shit. Okay. Sorry. My bad. Right. I thought that if we had 400 million fewer guns in this country, we'd all be better off. You're telling me you live with them and you don't want me to take those away. Therefore, uh, I need to reevaluate. Yeah. But, but I don't know because I haven't spoken to someone who hears, who lives somewhere where they hear shots a lot. Mm -hmm. I, or they I haven't. I don't know what their opinions are on that. Right. Or they could potentially be the victims of gun violence. I and do you remember uh, when uh, the mass shooting happened here, right at the mall? Mm -hmm. Do you remember that? Mm -hmm. Actually, I got my concealed carry permit pretty, it seemed like right around that time. I felt like, uh, uh, and then I, I carried religiously for years. Mm. And then I realized I don't go places where it's kind of work, worth the effort. Uh, I, I, I'm a pretty small guy, so if I carry a gun on me, it's kind of hard to hide it. Plus, it's uncomfortable most of the time. Uh, when it came around to do the renewal of my concealed carry permit, I think it was like 100 bucks or something. And I was like, I don't know if it's worth it, you know. But the West Roads Mall, that was a super safe. There was no reason to think that that could happen there. 
Right. But even then it, it hasn't really happened again. It, it, it's kind of about a mental judgment of risk, you know, sort of thing. And, um, I guess my overall point was that, uh, it, if it was a constitutional thing that I could carry, I would probably do it more often. But since somebody wants to charge me to be able to do that, I, I, I didn't pay the price money wise. Well, I mean, and, that's almost no money. It, it's the same as to me and you. That's true. Yeah. Uh, now, especially when, when it actually did come up for me to repay, I, 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 I didn't make near the money I do now. I think Kelly was in school. It, it I mean, a box of bullets is way more expensive than the license. So <laughs> oh, that's true now. Yeah. <laughs> um, at, at the end of the day, I think, um, but no, I, yeah, I, I think we should listen to the people who are living in the high gun violence areas. Right. So you can look at okay, a map of Omaha and you can see where all the gun violence are on the, the, the maps and you could go into those neighborhoods and say, okay, Hey, what should we do about this? Right. So, and, and presumably, hopefully the legislators that are from those areas, the state representatives, and the, the city council members that represent those areas, hopefully they're in touch with their uh, constituents and they know these things and they're trying to pass whatever it is that their constituents want. So hopefully mm-hmm. that's the way our freaking representative democracy works. Right. Right. And, and, you know, like when I was, uh, when I was growing up, I, I, I didn't come from a family with very much money and all my friends, you know, like they lived in even poorer neighborhoods than I did. One thing that I've kind of taken with my, uh, throughout my life as a result of that was that I feel like uh, the majority of the people that live in these low income neighborhoods are, are good people, like 99% of them, even in some of the worst uh, neighborhoods in the country. I think that the majority of people are good inside those neighborhoods. Um, and it's really just a select few individuals that cause terror in these neighborhoods and run them into the ground. And, um, uh, and I, I don't think it's right for people in the, the generally speaking good people of these neighborhoods uh, to not have a right to defend themselves. Um, and I certainly don't think that I, by proxy, can justify through some of these statistics saying, hey, you live a high risk life. You don't have a right to defend yourself because we're going to take your guns. I, I think that that's technically, I guess, what I'm passionate about is is not prohibiting other people that live in different situations than I do. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think we've beat that dead horse to death. Yeah. No kidding. Might have to cut some of that out. (laughs) Saying the same thing over and over again or saying nothing. No, I I think we did. I I don't know. I think it was fine. Write to us on Twitter and tell us that we suck. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Uh, Link to the, the daily. And that's another episode of Jay Flaunt's Ignorance in the can. Thanks again, Chris. Appreciate it. Thanks.